0: El Cuerpo de Cuentos, stories from an American in the Dominican Republic. I'm a public transportation enthusiast, I guess you could say. I love thinking about how it can influence the shape and function of communities and how people go about getting things done in their individual lives. I love taking public transportation. I feel like I get extra time in my life to read or to listen to something or just daydream. I also like the glimpses you can sometimes get of other people's lives, passing through neighborhoods and communities you have no reason to visit, seeing what private homes and public infrastructure look like in places you'll never go, sitting next to people you'll never know, seeing what they wear and how they pass the time on public transit. Because I love public transportation, and because so few people have their own cars in the Dominican Republic, at least by U.S. norms, I would be remiss if there wasn't an El Cuerpo de Quintos episode on the topic. So here it is. This episode is about the most common ways people get from point A to point B in the Dominican Republic, along with a few stories from Peace Corps volunteers about their experiences and thoughts on what it's like getting around here. And to all the family and friends or potential Peace Corps volunteers listening, don't worry. Despite what you might hear in this episode, volunteers have to follow a strict set of guidelines when taking transit. We are safe when we travel, just a little uncomfortable, as you're about to hear. Throughout most of Latin America, the word guagua means baby. But in Caribbean Spanish, a guagua is a bus, more or less. There are different sizes and types, but pretty much any vehicle larger than a car that's used for public transit is called a guagua. The most common kind of guagua throughout the entire country is something akin to a VW minibus, but a little bit bigger. They typically have about 20 seats. In the U.S., that would mean that the bus would have about a 20-person capacity. In the Dominican Republic, This type of minibus easily fits 30 passengers. Multiple people share a single seat and others stand in the aisleways, sometimes for hours. I've seen about 50 people on one of these buses, but that was pushing it, even for Dominicans. There's not really bus stops, except on the cross-country bus lines, which I'll get to later. If you need a bus, you just walk out to the road and wave your hand at the next guagua that passes. If there's room, the guagua will pull over. If there's not, or they don't want to stop for some other reason, it'll just blow right past you, and you wait until the next one happens to show up. To get off a bus, you just yell a variation of déjame, or donde pueda, which mean, more or less, leave me here, or wherever you can stop. Guaguas usually cost a minimum of 25 or 30 pesos, which is about 60 cents, but you might pay more or less depending on how far you're going, or if you look like you might not know how much you're supposed to pay. In addition to the chauffeur or driver, most guaguas have a cobrador. The cobrador helps passengers and their baggage on and off the bus, calls out typical destinations, and collects the fares. Along rural or smaller routes, the chauffeur does it all, but cobradores are common in cities or heavily traveled routes. In the US, this would be a superfluous job, but in the DR, people and things are packed so tight into guaguas the cobrador is necessary. Cobradores often hang out of the doorway of moving buses, holding on with just one arm and sometimes one leg, swaying back and forth, yelling out and waving to people on the street, soliciting more passengers. The word cobrador comes from the verb cobrar, to charge. Cobrador in this context means the one who charges the fare. When I first got to the DR, I thought the name described how they hung out of the guaguas, but no, cobrador does not mean, as I once thought, the Cobra Man.
1: The first bus that came by that said they were going to San Cristobal, I jumped on. Uh, it was supposed to be a 30-minute trip. It was a two-hour trip, and during that two-hour trip. We stopped to try to pick up passengers and the cobrador, he stepped out to try to find passengers. When a man came up and yelled at him repeatedly about how he knew that the cobrador had been with his wife and that he was going to kill him, lots of expletives, lots of details that I didn't understand or care to understand, as I just sat there, and the cobrador reached into the guagua, into the bus, and he pulled out a large kitchen knife and started waving it at the man who was accusing him of sleeping with his wife, of adultery, and he basically yelled, come at me, I'll kill you. Um, The gentleman who had accused him, backed off, the cobrador got back on, slipped the knife under one of the seats, and we continued on our way. Um, I ended up making it to San Cristo while fine, but I'm not gonna lie, I was pretty nervous sitting there next to that guy for the rest of the ride.
2: To get away. It's time to get away From you It's time to get away. It's time to get away
0: from you. In a rural area like where I live, the Guagua is a standard pickup truck, and usually one so beat up or made of miscellaneous parts. But the first time I saw one, I thought it would literally fall apart on the road. Taking a pickup truck guagua has advantages and disadvantages over the minibus style. Since they're usually only in rural areas where there's not a lot of foreigners, I'm not often charged what I call the gringo tax. I pay the same as everyone else, though it's usually a bit more than the minibus guaguas because the distances are longer. For example, it's two hours one way from my community to the major town where I go to the bank and buy staple foods. As far as comfort goes, I would prefer to take a packed minibus style guagua than a pickup truck any day. If you're a woman, you can sometimes get a seat inside the cab of the truck. If it's a single cab, there are two women that can fit, sometimes three, so including the chauffeur, that can be three to four people inside the cab of a standard pickup truck with a manual transmission. Some of the trucks also have a bench-like jump seat in the back where usually four, sometimes five people fit. That makes it usually about seven people in the cab of a two-door truck, sometimes more. Everyone else rides in the back of the truck. There's usually 10 to 20 people in the back of my local guagua truck, though I've seen as many as 40. That was really pushing it, but I have seen it. Most people sit along the edge of the truck bed, holding onto the sides or each other's knees. Some people prefer to stand up and hold the top of the cab, which looked insane to me at first, but it's actually more comfortable and more stable than sitting along the edge. Why not sit in the bed of the truck? Sometimes there's room for that, but the trucks are usually full of luggage, dried goods, animals, propane tanks, crates of beer, supplies for the Colmaros or the local general stores, and anything else special that's getting hauled that day, like furniture or appliances.
3: About a year ago, this is when I was dating another volunteer, and she lived, I lived pretty close to the capital, so on more the eastern side of the island and she lived on the western side of the island, right smack up against the border of Haiti. And so I was on a bus ride to visit her, and it's a several hour bus ride. So it was four or five hours bus ride, and I'm predictably sleeping or starting to drows, off, drown off, doze off, thank you. And I'm getting there, and all of a sudden I just, the person, the chauffeur, the person driving the, the truck that I'm on slams on the brakes. And we just come to a screaming halt. And so my first reaction is somebody, there's been some sort of accident and we're stopping to provide assistance. And so, you know, for me, it was kind of my moment of, I'm gonna be the guy who saves the day. Peace Corps volunteer, lone Peace Corps volunteer on, on truck or bus full of people provides critical assistance to family on roadside. I could already see the headlines. So, I just snap into action. I don't have my shoes on or anything. I kicked them off so I could enjoy my ride. And I distinctly remember leaping over one of the seats and like pushing an older woman out of the way on my way to exit the car. And because everybody's exiting this, um, this vehicle quickly. And I get out, you know, prepared to assess the situation and provide that, that help that, you know, I'd learned during my lifeguard training as you know, a 17 and 18 year old boy growing up in Texas. And there, I see what had happened. A aid truck on the way to Haiti had dropped a cargo, or I guess the truck had been overloaded, and a big packet had fallen off on the road, like two or three of these big packets. And we're talking packets that are like 10 feet by 10 feet, so pretty substantial. And they were filled to the brim with backpacks that said, food for the hungry so some sort of Haitian aid organization, and it was just a field day. There was cars, motorcycles were pulling up, people were kind of crawling out of the canes to grab these backpacks, and people were, you know, it was like Christmas, people, I, people were throwing backpacks at me. I was catching the backpacks and grinning and opening them, and it was when I robbed an aid truck on its way to Haiti. That's when I felt truly like I was living Peace Corps. And that's my story. That's my transportation story. Well, these diamonds on my windshield, and these tears from heaven. Well, I'm pulling into town on the interstate. I got a steel train in the rain. And the wind bites my cheek through the wing. And it's these late nights, and this freeway flying always makes me sing.
0: In addition to the minibuses and pickup trucks, there's a very special kind of guagua here in the Dominican Republic a long-distance cross-country bus. These guaguas are like greyhounds or megabuses in the U.S. They're large, made for passengers, and have a luggage space beneath the bus. There's offices that sell real tickets and official bus stops and air conditioning, sometimes Wi-Fi or a movie, and one passenger per seat. Some companies do sell over capacity in typical Dominican style and have people standing in the aisles, but not many of them. To go across country will cost you between 5 and 15 US dollars and can take as long as 12 hours from one far flung but major transportation hub to another. A carro público is a private car that functions as public transportation. Carros take established routes, and you can catch them the same way you do a guagua. Flag it down on the side of the road, and to get off, you just tell the chauffeur to let you off wherever. But fewer people means fewer stops, so carros go faster than guaguas. A standard, sedan-turned-carro fits seven people, the chauffeur, two people sharing the front passenger seat, and four people in the back. You might see more people if you count children or babies sitting on laps. I've never seen anyone use a seatbelt in a carro. For the most part, carros in the cities are as in bad shape as the trucks that function as guaguas in my region. Wires hang out of the dashboard, windows usually are missing or don't roll up and down, and not all the doors open. The bodies of carros are pretty patchwork-looking, too. They fit my mental image of the car Johnny Cash sings about in One Piece at a Time.
1: Uh, What model is it? Well, it's a forty-nine, fifty, fifty-one, fifty-two, fifty-three, fifty-four, fifty-five, fifty-six, fifty-seven, fifty-eight, fifty-nine automobile. It's a sixty, sixty-one, sixty-two, sixty-three, sixty-four, sixty-five,
2: sixty-six, 67, sixty-seven. And a guy just asked the bus driver to stop so he could get out. He was in the back seat through the window so he could go take a leak, and just stopped everything. Just stopped everything for him, and then got back in through the window.
0: in the Dominican Republic. They're affordable, convenient, and can travel on roads that cars can't. So if you're middle class here, your family has a motorcycle. Motorcycle taxis, or motoconchos, are a typical way of getting around. They're usually pricier than a carro or a guagua, but they take you door to door, a far more desirable option for most people. Motos here are smaller than what you normally see in the U.S. A Peace Corps volunteer friend of mine who's into motorcycles gave me some technicals to get an idea of the difference. This might be familiar to some listeners, but it was all new information to me, and I suspect it will be to other non-engineer or non-motorcycle types. Motorcycle engines are measured in cubic inches. This strictly refers to the size of the engine, not horsepower, but typically larger engines mean more power. So, a large motorcycle engine in the U.S. is anything above 900 cubic inches. A medium-sized engine is between 600 and 800 cubic inches. A small motorcycle in the U.S. is about 250 cubic inches. In the Dominican Republic, almost every motorcycle on the road has an engine that's less than 250 cubic inches. The only motorcycles that size in the U.S. are considered to be very small bikes specifically made for women. Just like anything with wheels in the DR, size does not seem to restrict the number of people and things you can put on a moto. Three adults on a moto is common, and it's not too strange to see a family of five on the same moto. I've also seen motos haul hundreds of pounds of beans, rice, flour or corn, goats, alive or dead, full-sized mattresses, and one time, a couch.
2: Time. I'm on the side of the road waiting for my bus to pass, and this motorcycle gang passes by a Dominican, we call them Tigres, which would more or less be young misfits, um, and they offer to give me a ride, so I think why not, they do seem a little bit intoxicated, but I'm not too worried, I sit in between two gentlemen, and we begin our descent down the mountain back to my site. I did feel some, uh, at some point, I felt a little wetness coming on. I imagine he had spilled his drink. It's a little unfortunate, but as Peace Corps volunteers, we don't wear valuable clothes. No big deal, I'll wash it. We get to my site and I jump off the motorcycle and I take a glance at the guy behind me and I see a very moist crotch. And I realize that yes, that wetness, he, he had peed on me. And all the guys immediately, all the guys immediately start making fun of him, saying that he quote unquote, like wet the green guy, which was, bit of a strange moment. Nonetheless, I got a free ride, and so I took from that that, you know, free things. You gotta pay, sometimes you end up paying for things that seem free.
0: Nobody walks here. Unless it's across the street, people take motos instead of walking. I've seen people take a moto to cover a distance that takes me, quite literally, less than two minutes to walk. And one or two kilometers? Forget it. Most people wouldn't even dream of walking that, unless they really had to. In my community, people do walk, but that's because it's necessary. Many people can't afford a moto or work on a farm that's only accessible by foot because it's built on a steep hillside. Some Peace Corps volunteers speculate that this is the real reason most Dominicans don't like to walk. It's a status thing. You only walk if you can't afford any other option. That might be true, especially in really rural areas, but I think there are other environmental factors that converge to make walking pretty uncomfortable here. This island is pretty close to the equator, so not only is it really hot, it can be brutal to be in the direct sunlight, especially in the middle of the day. And it's worse in the cities, which are all built at lower elevations and have very little green space or shade. They're just miles and miles of land covered in concrete, If you heard the episode about the environment, you know that solid waste disposal is the number one environmental issue on the island. There's piles of rotting garbage almost everywhere you go. Plus, traffic laws are not enforced here. In places where there are traffic signals, drivers regularly run red lights, go against the flow of traffic, and turn three lanes into five. It's just unpleasant and potentially dangerous to walk in most places here. other ways people get around in the Dominican Republic, but geography seems to dictate your options. For example, taxis seem to be always available in major cities. In Santo Domingo and Santiago, you can hail a cab in the street almost any time of day, or call a cab company directly and have one show up in less than five minutes. There are also cab stands at every large grocery store and mall, any place you'd buy more than you could carry easily. I have seen some cyclists, but the majority of bike transportation I've seen are vendors on trikes, literally peddling their wares, usually street snacks of fruit or raw sugar cane. In the rural areas, horses are common. Everyone in my community that can afford a horse has one, or if not a horse, then a mule. I'm not sure if it's fair to call a horse transportation, at least in my community. People do ride them, but where I live, they're mostly used for hauling tools, large sacks of beans, our primary crop, or dragging a few logs that will get chopped into firewood for cooking for the next day or two.
3: I was on the guagua visiting Kristen, my fiance, for the first time, and it was like a six-hour guagua ride, and this guy in front of me had a chicken on his lap that he was in a bag that was live. And the woman next to him, who wasn't with him, plucked one of the feathers out of the chicken at one point and started cleaning her ear with it. And then after she was done cleaning her ears, she gave the feather to the guy in front of her and he started cleaning his ears.
0: For listening to El Fuego de Cuentos. You can find more episodes online on SoundCloud or anywhere you get your podcasts.